Please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I was talking to some before the service, and one, one dear brother mentioned, how can you preach on finances on Communion Sunday? You'll see. You'll see. Um, just by way of personal testimony, uh, I was a missionary for many years, kind of still consider myself a missionary. You never get over that. But... Um, one of the most difficult times came after I uh, completed my training with the mission organization that I was with, because then I had to go out and do what they called back then deputation. And um, I'm just a guy from the east side. I grew, grew up right up on Payne Avenue here, and I was thinking, I can't go out and beg money from people. And it really, it really threw me for a curve, because I knew I needed finances to be supported while I was overseas doing the work, and yet I didn't want to ask people to give me money. Well, um, by God's grace, he brought a missionary, a veteran missionary into my life that corrected my thinking and said, what a fool. You're just a fool. Why do you think that you're asking money for yourself? You're being sent out by a church to do God's work, and what you're doing is giving people an opportunity for the privilege of helping you to do what God has called you to do. They're participating with you in the gospel. Totally revolutionized my thinking. And um, if, if you've been a member or if you've been coming to Beacon of Hope uh, for any length of time, we don't really talk a lot about money here. Um, when we need it, we tell you we need it. Uh, we tell you what it's for, and then we tell you how we spent it. We're pretty open about these things. Um, I'll never forget when we bought this building, um, man, that was a miracle in so many ways. But the greatest way that I saw it working was, I think we even, Curtis, you put this up, didn't you? We had like 24-hour prayer uh, clock going on, and we had to have so much money by such a time. And, and after we got it all done, and everybody dug deeper than they've ever dug in their life before, and, and we had the down payment and everything was ready to rock we got word from a structural engineer we had to put this stupid beam in, and it was $50,000 more. We didn't have any more money. I mean, everybody was tapped out, and yet God worked through the organization that we were getting a loan from to give us a loan for that amount, and uh, we paid that off, I think, two years ago, or, or last year. Was it last year? Last year, that was paid off last fall. So, you know... Um, the building's not paid off yet. We're working hard at that. But um, God is so good, and he can do so much. And the last time that I brought these elements of New Testament giving before you, we were coming out of 2019, and I, I believe we were probably $16,000 in the red. And I just thought, I need to tell the church again about giving, you know, because we are all just shell-shocked by what we had come through with the stay in place and, and just should we meet. And you remember all that, right? And um, we have come through that beacon by your love and by your gifts. And presently we finished in a surplus last, last year. And you'll hear about that at the end of the service when we have our little meeting. But also uh, we're doing well now if you look at the bulletin. And that's you. That's you. And that's God in you. And I feel and think that God is preparing us for something. I don't know what it is yet. I'd like to say 
you know, we're going to buy the Kmart down on the corner here and, and have enough room for classrooms and everything. I, I don't think so. I heard today they want $10 million's not enough. The guy just wants to lease it out. It's been empty for years, so maybe we'll just wait a couple more years and he'll beg us to take it for a tax write-off. I don't know. But all I want to say is that you, Beacon, have done a marvelous job. You continue to do a marvelous job. We're able to meet all of our vendors' uh, bills. We're able to, we've never been in arrears on our bills. Uh, I've never missed a paycheck. And I honestly, you're just marvelous. So thank you very, very much. And I don't want you to think that this is a sermon about, you know, okay, dig deeper. I want you to really cough up the money now. No, okay? Philippians, um, that portion that I read to you, is, is a good example. <clears throat> and 2 Corinthians chapter 8 really is talking about the Philippian church. It says the churches of Macedonia, but uh, Philippians is part of that. And I'll tell you that that's part of this background here. In Philippians 1.3, which we read, Paul ex- expresses his intense love to that church, saying, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now because he was grateful for their participation in the gospel, their participation. And that participation took place uh, in, in two ways at least. Okay, One, you remember the Philippian jailer. You remember that Paul experienced some difficulties there in Philippi, and, and they, they housed him. They took him in, and they also supplied him with financial assistance. When he was in Corinth, preaching the gospel there, he, was carry, uh, he received a gift that was carried to him by Silas and Timothy from the Macedonian churches, Philippi, basically. They met his needs, and in Acts 18.5, you read about that. But if you look over at 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 11, turn over there, it's just a couple pages, verses 8 and 9 tell us something very interesting. He says, he says, I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. Now Paul's talking to the Corinthians, and he says, I robbed other churches taking wages from them. He's talking about the Macedonian churches that sent him money when he was ministering to the church at Corinth. And he says, and when I present you uh, with you and was in need, when I was present with you and in need, I was not a burden to anyone, for when the brethren came from Macedonia, that's talking about the Philippian church, they fully supplied my need, and in everything I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. You know, the, Cor- the Corinthians were a piece of work, right? And Paul knew that early on, and even when he was preaching the gospel to them, he was not going to become beholden to them because they helped him financially. He did not want to ask them for any help. So what did he do? If you turn back into Acts 18.5, it's just a beautiful history here that will give you some idea of uh, what Paul did. So when he, was, when he was there at Corinth, he said um, he, that, that's when he actually went to, he ran out of money, okay? I mean, let's just be 
realistic here. I won't use Bible terms here. He was broke. He didn't have any money for food, so what did he do? He started making tents. It's not that he was trying to project a whole new missions uh, methodology that we all need to be tent makers now. Because in verse 8 or verse 5 of chapter 18, it says, But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word. Okay? So he made tents because he had a need and he used his own livelihood to do that for the time being to bridge the gap in between the gifts that the church from Macedonia sent him. But when the gifts came from that church in Macedonia, totally unrelated church to Corinth, he was able to devote himself fully to the work. And I I might add, this is the philosophy that's behind LifeGate worldwide in helping pastors so they don't have to be bivocational so that they can give themselves 100% to the work of church planting. Church planting is not for the weak of heart. You can't do it on a part-time basis, people. You'll be planting for 25 years before you get things off the ground. It's very difficult. And so we, LifeGate, wants to help people like the Philippian church. We gather money from the churches in the United States, our church too, and help foreign pastors, national pastors, get a salary for at least the first years as they're starting out. We help them jumpstart so they have a full salary and they don't have to work bivocationally. Well, that's exactly what that church did for them. But then there's another way that the Philippian church participated in the gospel. This is really unique because Paul, who was a missionary, um, you realize he had some some fellowship with those in, um, in the church at Jerusalem, right? I mean, Acts 15, he, he refers to them as so-called pillars. <laughs> but he was really, the, uh, he was really the, the, the missionary to the Gentiles. So he's out in Europe doing his missionary work and everything. And it's very interesting that he decided, led by God, that he wanted to really see the churches that he was ministering to, the Gentile churches, he took a collection up amongst them to help the people that were suffering over in Jerusalem. Okay, let me give you a picture of what that might look like. That might look like me asking you and going to other churches here in the Twin Cities and saying, listen, I know you guys have needs and I'm going to get some money for you. And then so I get on a plane, I go all the way over to Indonesia and the other churches that I've been involved in, in, you know, church planning ministry, and they're on the other side of the ocean and they don't have near what we have, right? And I say, hey, you guys, we really need to help those guys over in America. That's basically what he was doing. He was saying, I'm going to collect money from the Philippian church, the Corinthian church, and all, and he took this great big collection to help the people in Jerusalem because the church in Jerusalem was being persecuted, you remember that, and they were experiencing famine and so forth. And so he collected money from those churches that he had planted to help the mother church, if you will, filled with so-called pillars of the faith, James and Peter and so forth. And that is an amazing thing. And so that's what he's thanking them for 
in the first two verses of 2 Corinthians 8. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you that the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. He's saying, kudos to these churches who are the poor churches suffering persecution themselves and in a state of poverty who gave money to help the church over in Jerusalem. That's an amazing, amazing thing. And so in those two ways, Paul's thanking them. And I'm so glad that we have chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians because in it there are some very, very pertinent elements that teach us Paul's view, and I would say God's view, of giving according to the New Testament. So with that introduction, I'd like to just read 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 9, and then open in prayer. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the church of Macedonia, that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Paul's using the Macedonian church as a goad to the Corinthian church. Because the Corinthian church had promised to give towards this collection, and they were kind of waffling a little bit. So he's, he's doing this with a purpose behind it. Verse 3, For I testify that according to their ability, and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints in Jerusalem. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. And so we urged Titus that he, um, that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. So Titus is collecting the, the offering. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge, Remember, it's a Corinthian church. And in all earnestness, in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also, this collection. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. I want you to be just like the Macedonian churches. Verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, He became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for these examples that you've provided for us, displays of the way things work and should work within the church, the local church of the New Testament, born on Pentecost Sunday, Father, so long ago and who will be taken up as your bride at the rapture. Oh God, what a privilege it is to be a part of this era, the church age. Father, help us to live accordingly. Help us to be all in. And help us to be all in with joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I want to give you these 10 facts or 10 elements of New Testament giving uh, from the Bible that you can just use them as a way to 
evaluate your own giving, which will either affirm or convict you. I mean, that's the bottom line, right? And I consider this my responsibility as your pastor to to build you up, to edify you with these kind of things. The word of God is given to us for reproof and for correction and for encouragement. So hopefully this sermon will do just that. The very first thing that we learn from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is seen in the first verse. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God. The grace of God. Poverty and persecution were a common experience for the believers in the churches of Macedonia. And yet, in the midst of that kind of trial, the grace of God was displayed through their giving. Through their giving. All genuine giving comes ultimately from God and is a display of his grace at work in the heart which motivated them to amazing generosity. Amazing generosity. The natural tendency within the heart, all all of our hearts, is to retain what we have. (laughs) We've worked hard for this. I'm not just going to give it away. Are you serious? We, we, we were extra careful to make sure that we have enough, right? And, and not to give away the hard-earned money that we've accumulated. Well, the Philippians portray a different story to us. And it's supernatural. It's operating on the basis of grace. And so we have always and can always be sure when we're moved to give, even sacrificially beyond what we think we can afford, it's the work of the Lord in our hearts, and it is a sign of God's grace working there. Okay? Now, I don't know about you, but I've been challenged on this a couple different times in my life where I didn't think that I could do it. And I was being called to give more than I thought I could actually do. In one case, it was through prayer. I could not even pray for the things somebody asked me to pray about. I didn't have the faith. I wasn't being selfish or anything. I just didn't get it. I didn't have the faith to trust God to ask him for the very thing that I was challenged to ask him for. And he brought me up short because in a very quick time, that prayer request was answered and I didn't get a chance to rejoice in answered prayer. And he brought me up short. He said, Stephen, I don't need you. But that's your loss, not mine. What it was for is praying for a twin-engine plane to replace a little Cessna airplane that we had on the mission field. And the twin-engine plane was going to be like an astronomical cost to poor missionaries. And I just didn't have the prayer or the faith to pray that prayer. And within three months, all the money came in for that twin-engine plane And that flew us in and out of Taliabo for years after that. And every time I got on that plane, the Lord just tapped me on the shoulder and reminded me again. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Enough. So remember that. New Testament giving is based in grace, okay? Secondly, it should not be hindered by bad times. There's nothing that can hinder New Testament giving. They gave in a great ordeal of affliction, according to verse 2. 
The Philippians were under constant persecution for their faith, and yet even in the midst of their great ordeal of affliction, the believers gave generously. They gave in, in opposition to the proportion of their difficulties. Remember, the Philippians are in Philippi. That's where they, the government took Paul and threw him into jail. That's where they were at, right? And so they weren't pro-gospel at all. The New Testament giving does not wait for circumstances to get better before giving. The Philippian church could have reasoned like this. Well, let's just wait until things settle down a little bit. You know, let's not, let's not get crazy here. You know, we got to take care of ourselves. They didn't think like that. Not even close. New Testament teaches that the grace of God in giving operates even in the midst of dire situations. And they gave, well, in a great ordeal of affliction. Now, I have not received, but neither have I looked for, testimonies of how Ukrainian churches are helping one another in their great ordeal of affliction. But I bet you anything, I'll bet you a million dollars that the churches in the Ukraine themselves that are suffering and are in war right now are giving sacrificially to others outside of their own church who are suffering even more possibly maybe those on the eastern border, because that's the way this giving works. So it's based in grace, and difficult situations should not hinder it. Thirdly, it is accompanied by joy. And I love this. It it says in verse 2 that they gave and experienced abundance of joy. An abundance of joy. Do you know why they were joyful? Well, first, they were filled with the Spirit. Uh, Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, right? But it's because they weren't bound up with the things of the world. God had such a grip on their hearts that they just released. They just released. Their giving wasn't done out of drudgery or coercion or a sense of obligation. They weren't afraid that God was going to punish them if they didn't give. They weren't even afraid that Paul wasn't going to like them if they didn't give. That wasn't, didn't even enter their mind. The grace of God was moving and motivating them to give, and so they experienced the joy of God, which is a marvelous thing, in spite of their situation, right? So fourthly, it would not be hindered by low economic standings either because their giving came out of their deep poverty, And it overflowed, again in verse 2. They gave out of their deep poverty. One must get financially squared away first. No. No. Now, I know that I'm talking to a group of folks. We're we're mostly blue-collar people, right? We're not not in the six-digit figures here. We're not hundreds of thousands of dollars a year that we're getting, most of us. That does not mean that that should affect our giving. Okay, somebody stole my water. Never mind. Um, But the truth of the matter is, we can give even if we have little. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. We can give even if we have little. We don't have to um, get to a certain financial level before we can start giving. Why do I say this? Because I've heard it. 
I've heard people say, you know, Pastor, I know that was a great sermon on giving and everything, but I just need to, I need to get it together first a little bit. I can't see giving at this point. That's not the way to look at it. I'm so glad for this teaching in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it goes on, because it shows that they were able to give out of their poverty. Do you know that word for poverty means destitution? (laughs) It actually says, the Greek word actually means to cower or crouch down and be stricken, powerless to enrich themselves. So I'm thinking they probably had a stay-at-home mandate on them and they couldn't go to their jobs. Or they got fired from their jobs because they didn't get vaccinated. Something happened. They were stricken with and powerless to enrich themselves. Seems the rich in the world sometimes find it difficult to relate to the destitute and the needy, but I've found that those who have experienced poverty often have more empathy for the poor and they give more generously. The Philippian church gave out of their deep poverty, not their abundance, right? An example of giving out of abundance would be Bill Gates granting Beacon of Hope $100,000. What's that to Bill Gates? To us, it's like, yes. Okay? Or even a million, right? We're talking billionaires here. Even a million dollars. It's nothing to Bill. To us, it would be outrageous, but to Bill, it's nothing. That's giving out of abundance. They didn't do that. They gave out of their poverty. Fourthly, it should not be hindered by low economic standing. Fifthly, it is guided by single-mindedness. Single-mindedness. They gave with a wealth of their liberality. Now, that's Bible speak, and I want to break it down for you because it's really talking about being... Um, deliberate in our giving. See, all these are applicable to us. We can just take these and say, am I doing this? Am I doing it like this? Do I have this attitude? And just check ourselves. So it's guided by single-mindedness. The Macedonians' wealth was not in finances, but in liberality. They're very rich in liberality. What does liberality mean? Well, that word can be translated sincerity, or they're rich in sincerity. Well, I am too. My mom used to say that the the road to heaven is paved with good intentions. (laughs) She always said that when I was doing something wrong. The same word translated simplicity or singleness of mind in 2 Corinthians 11.3 where Paul was warning the believers to remain focused on Christ, devoted to Christ, single-minded. He was fearful that they would be robbed from the simplicity, same word, as liberality here, from the simplicity that is in Christ, the single-mindedness, the deliberateness, if you will. They weren't distracted by the riches of this world. In the hearts of the wealthy, there's often a conflict between their ability to give and their desire to keep. (laughs) Now, you do realize that that word rich is really relative. I'm dropping into postmodernity here now, okay? We're on, a, we're on a sliding scale of gray here. We don't know exactly who that is. When I lived in Indonesia, I was fabulously wealthy, making $700 a month, okay? But to the Indonesians, right, 
I was wealthy. And it was really hard because we were taught in our orientation classes that we had to go to the, the pasar, the marketplace, and we had to bargain. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to bargain over, over a T-shirt that costs like $2, and I'm supposed to bargain them down to like $1.50. $2 is nothing. Here's a $2. Thank you very much. Here's, here's 50 cents because you were so kind. No. No. That, see, that's not the way it should be. The Macedonians were not double-minded. They were direct and deliberate in their giving. And you don't need to be rich. What's your idea of rich? Where is the limit? I was rich in Indonesia. But I came back to Minnesota for a furlough, $700 a month. <laughs> Not quite the same response. So richness is relative, right? And, and you see, the rich of the world can sometimes have a conflict between their ability to give and their desire to keep. Well, that fits to us too, wherever we are on that scale of richness. So when I say rich, don't just think of Bill. The Macedonians, in contrast, weren't double-minded, but rather sincere, singular, laser-focused in their intention to give. They were deliberate. And I think that's why Paul singled them out as an example to the Corinthians, because they were something else. They amazed even the Apostle Paul. And so he used them as an example. Number six, it's proportionate. It says in verse three that they gave according to their ability. This is good stuff now. This is how the Bible always is, right? It's always balanced. It's never under or over balanced. It's always perfectly in balance. And here you have that it's proportionate. The New Testament model of giving points out that the Macedonians gave in proportion to what they had according to their ability. Look down to verse 12 of this same chapter, chapter 8. In verse 12 it says, For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. How clear is that? Okay, so I've got a little note here. Not foolish, right? You're not foolish. Some people might take what I'm saying today and saying, man, I want to give because I know there's this need and I all want to give and, and they give away all their money and they don't have money for food. Hello, excuse me. That's stupid. <laughs> Giving beyond what you're able you don't have that much money or, or giving your, your house, your mortgage away so you don't have the mortgage to pay. That's not what this is talking about. It's talking about being in the realm of reality here. But it's going beyond what you might think you are able to give because you're holding and keeping, right? So it's proportionate. And it's so... Beautiful, in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, it says this, On the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper. Now, that's another verse, and I'm not going to go there for time, but there are a couple of additional elements discovered in addition to the 10 elements I'm telling you in that one verse, 1 Corinthians 16, 2. Because it designates that it's systematic on the first day, meaning Sunday, okay? 
put aside money on the first day. It's systematic giving. Secondly, there's a pattern to it. It was universal. Each of you, all of us are to be givers. Employed, unemployed, married, unmarried, young and old. And I know that Emma incorporates giving even in our Sunday school with our kids. We need to teach it when they're young. So it's systematic, it's universal, and it's giving pattern was according to a plan. Put it aside and save. 10%? What? Tithing? Well, that's a great place to begin. And it's easy to identify because 10% is easy to take out. You know, if you make 10 bucks a week, you give a buck. You make 100, you give 10. Right? Make 1,000, you give 100. How hard is that? I use that as a a baseline, if you will. But you don't want to stop there. Because for Bill to give 10% and for Steve to give 10% are totally different. For Bill, it ain't nothing, as they would say. Right? It's nothing. But to me, yeah, it takes a chunk. But that's a good place to begin. And nobody prevents us from going more than that. It's not mandatory. I'll talk about tithing in a minute. Maybe I won't. (laughs) So, tithing could be used to hinder generosity because it limits you to 10%. You can always give more. Seven, it is sacrificial. They gave, we're back in chapter 8, verse 3, they gave beyond their ability. Now, Macedonians giving was proportionate, but in a way that was sacrificial. They gave beyond their ability. It hurt What they gave, it hurt. Maybe they decided to skip a meal every day in order to have a little bit extra more to give. That's what they're talking about beyond their ability here. It went, it exceeded what they actually had to give, and so there had to be some sacrifice involved in it. Jesus praised the widow in Mark 12, 42, for they all put in out of their surplus, he says, that's giving out of abundance, but she, out of her poverty, kind of similar statement, right, put in all she owned. It's, she gave it the last of it. And what this does, you know, Paul's just building up, stacking one descriptive noun after another, trying to get his readers, the Corinthians actually, to really truly understand the heart of New Testament giving and how important it is. It's not just slipping their hand into their pocket and taking out the smallest bill. Do you know that that is human nature? The Taliabo did it. Who taught them to do that? When I say the Taliabo, I'm talking a primitive group of people that came to church in loincloths, no, no tops, Right? When it came time to give the offering, they'd put their hand in their pocket and they'd look at their bills and take a hundred rupiah bill. <laughs> well, why didn't they give a thousand rupiah bill? Got to have enough for me, <laughs> right? And, and, and stop just for a second with, just stop and, and lapse into reality here. Let's see, 90% for me, 10% for God. Seems a little out of sync, doesn't it? for me, 10% for God. Well, they gave sacrificially. Giving is sacrificial. So you've got it based in grace. Even in affliction you give. It brought great joy. New Testament giving does. 
even if you're poor, you keep on giving. It's got to be deliberate. You got to think about it and, and be committed to it. It's proportionate to what you have, not what you don't have. And it's sacrificial. So the eighth, it's voluntary. My little talk there about the 10%, 90%, and so forth, I am not promoting we must give 10% of our... There's no command in the New Testament to give 10%. In fact, free will offering is really <clears throat> the way of the New Testament. It's voluntary. They gave of their own accord. Verse 3, no outside pressure, no manipulation, making the believers to feel bad if they did not give. Okay? The Bible says so clearly at the end of verse 3, they gave of their own accord. Other translations state freely and willingly. They gave entirely on their own. It's volitional. I was going to talk about tithing here, and I'll just say this very quickly. If you study tithing, I want you to go to Leviticus 27, verses 30 through 32. And I want you to go to Leviticus 18, 21 through 32, and Deuteronomy 14, 22, and also 26, 12. And what you're going to see is that the total amount that the Israelite had to give was not 10%. It actually came to a total of 23 to 25%. Because it wasn't like New Testament giving, which is free will offering, it was a tax that they were taxed as part of the community of Israel. And it went to upkeep the building. It went to upkeep the priests and pay their salaries and so forth. It was a tax. It wasn't like what we think of giving as. And if you look at those verses, you'll see it. But some have taken the opposite position then and understand because it's not mandated that they don't need to give a tithe. I don't want you to think that using a tithe voluntarily is wrong or somehow excessive. I believe that God would have us to give generously, and I believe that it's a practical way to gauge giving, using a tithe as the beginning point for giving. It's easy, okay? Let me give you a couple of verses that prove to us that there's goodness in giving, and there's reception back when we give. Now, Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not a prosperity gospel guy. My name is not Cleflonetti. Cleflo. Nope. Contrary to prosperity gospel, we do not give to get, but we give from gratitude. We give from gratitude. But that doesn't take away these verses. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, and from the first of your produce... So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Or Luke 6.38 that teaches New Testament believers, give and it will be given to you. They'll pour it into your lap for good measure and press it down and shaken together and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Or 2 Corinthians 9, 6. But this I say, he that sows sparingly will reap also sparingly. And he that sows bountifully will reap also bountifully. So what I'm telling you is that this giving does bring a return, but that's not why we do it. That's not why we do it. We do it out of gratitude. Ninth, it is honorable. It is honorable 
In verse 4, it says, they begged for the favor of participation. Okay, so this is what they were doing. They had learned the lesson that I had to learn with that mission plane. The other guys that had the faith and prayed for that mission plane and saw God answer their prayer within three months to gather that kind of money to buy a twin-engine plane, every time they got on that plane, they were reminded of God's goodness in answering prayer. I, on the other hand, was reminded and convicted of my own lack of faith. See how that works? They were blessed. God answered their prayer, and we were safe flying in a twin engine over all that ocean to get to our island spots to minister the gospel. It was honorable for them to do that. It's a privilege. New Testament giving is proportionate, sacrificial, and voluntary, and it is a privilege. And tenth, it all begins with a personal consecration. Look at verse 5 with me, please. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. Stop right there. Should have started with this, right? Because this is where it begins. This is actually where it all begins. In fact, from our perspective, Because if our heart is totally given over to God, what difference does it make? What he asks of us. What do we have that we haven't received, people? How is that the Macedonian churches could be such an example to all the other churches as poor and persecuted as they were? They were shining bright and a model for New Testament giving. This is how such a thing came to be. First, they gave themselves to the Lord. First, they started with that. They didn't start with giving. It was their own hearts first. Their giving flowed from that personal consecration to God. When God owns all of you, giving is not a problem if he touches your heart to do so. The real true source, though, is discovered discovered in verse 9. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. There is a real basis, right? Always goes back to Christ, and that's why I can preach a sermon on giving on Communion Sunday, because it always goes back to Jesus. Always. How magnificent. First, he gave himself for us first, and we give ourselves to him because of that. Could they disregard the needs of the poor in Jerusalem when their Lord left unspeakable splendor in heaven so that they could be blessed? No. Can we? You see, folks, New Testament giving isn't so much about deeper. It is much more deeper than placing your hand in your pocket and putting money in a plate, no matter what percentage of the possessions that you give to the Lord. It's, It's where's your heart? Where's your heart at? And I guess that's kind of the lesson I had to learn early on that that talking about money and things like this, it's not about me. It's about your heart and it's about God and his work. The money you give to church is for the church. It's for ministries here. I don't have a jet. In fact, I drive a Prius, a 2015 at that. 
And I'm not in it to get rich. If I was, I wouldn't be in this business, believe me, right? It's not about me. It's nothing to do with me. And I am grateful for what I get. Believe me, I'm very grateful. And you all have taken care of me and Mary and my family magnificently. So don't go there. But the truth of the matter is, it's about each of our own hearts because all of us have the command to give. New Testament giving is not about money. It's about love. Love for the one who first loved us and gave himself for us. So with that, let me just ask a couple of questions for you to just use for your own self. And Have you given yourself to the Lord, lock, stock, and barrel? Do you realize that you have been bought with a price? You're not your own, even though you might think you are. And sometimes those of us have learned that lesson, drift back to it. <laughs> so check your heart. Are you all of God's? 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20. Secondly, have you been intentional in your giving? Do you really think about how much you're going to give? Have you set it down systematically that you're going to give this much each week and then put it into play? Thirdly, have you ever given sacrificially till it hurt? Have you ever been challenged to give more than you thought you could? And if you have, I'll bet you anything you were blessed in a proportionate manner or more when you did that. That's each person to answer in your own life. And if you haven't, try it. It's amazing. (laughs) Okay, fourth, does personal debt hinder you? What do you need to do to free yourself up to give more freely? If debt is really hounding you, then do you have a plan in place to deal with that debt so you'll be more free to give? Fifthly, do do you understand giving as laying up treasure in heaven and for the glory of God and the good of others? Or do you see it as, ah, you know, I hate to add, it's giving time again, you know? I, I loathe, I listen to public radio, believe it or not, and I loathe the time where they start their ramp up to become subscribers, you know? It's just like I want to, okay, I'll go listen to something else for a while, for this month, while we get through this here. That's not the way to look at giving. Number six, will you examine your heart in the area of giving and trust him to help you understand his way of giving in the New Testament? And by that, I would say, listen to this sermon over again. Um, read books on giving and, and, and just let it, let it be free. Let it be free. I mean, I I like that part about joy, you know? All of us need more joy in our life. And the the Macedonians or the Philippians were filled with joy because of their giving. So that's an avenue to having that joy.